and welcome to Rebel Hearts, a podcast dedicated to women in the music industry and the challenges that they face. Each episode features songs by your new favorite band and where you can find them. Come on, the show is starting. I'll see you guys at the front. Hey guys, and welcome back to Rebel Hearts. This is episode 47. Today I have a super, super special episode. I have Aaron Weiss of Me Without You with me. We're actually on the set of Me Without You's new video for their song, uh, Julia. That's the name of the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's super exciting. It's super cool being out here. We're out in Brooklyn. I've never driven in Queens before, even though I've lived on Long Island for 25 years. So go me. This was uh, super terrifying. So... Um, thank you so much for being here, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for being here and being with me. I have a, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, I apologize to my listeners that they are super wordy. I sat down to do these questions a couple of weeks ago, and my brain just started going in 80 different directions. So apologize in advance. I apologize to Aaron. I already uh, kind of told him that he, sh- he should be prepared. So first thing I have is... Um, you guys have basically been making music almost the time I've been alive. You know, I've been alive for 25 years. You guys have been a band for almost 20, which is absolutely insane. And the progression within the music and lyrical content is just super smooth and without breaking or anything crazy like that. I was just curious to know how you guys went from songs like the ones from Catch for Us, The Foxes that had lyrics that were arguably the heaviest to date throughout the entire record. And now you have total concept albums. I mean, you guys have been heavy and dark throughout your entire career, but how did you transition from lyrics like I haven't even thought about killing myself in the last five months and a glass can only spill what it contains and my life's a cup of sugar I borrowed time and again forgot to return to what we have now? You know, it's just it's such a transition. How did you get to that? You know? Sure. Well, the transition for me has been just a gradual development of my life and my experiences. And some of them that are really dark. If I've been singing about thoughts of suicide, for example, that, that was something I was struggling with at that time. And then fast forward a few years and we were, writing songs that were really happy and and based in gratitude and contentment and hopefulness and that reflected how i felt then and then the pendulum swung again and i you know had some difficult personal experiences my dad died for example and just some heartaches that made some of the content lyrically turn dark again it was never a as far as i know a very calculated or an intentional move it's just the outgrowth of whatever season i'm in and and me trying to put that into words that i mean that's kind of what i've gathered from your whole discography the whole there's such a pendulum swing between all the lyrics and all of the albums that you guys have put out i mean you guys have put out some some discography to be honest with you for example, I never said that I was brave and A to B life are drastically different than brother sister, which is a staple in my life personally. It's super fascinating to me that you guys went from a band that people basically could crowd surf to at a house show to a band that people actually pay attention to and actually digest. And it's just people actually pay attention instead of losing themselves. And was that natural as well? Did you guys ever want to be a heavy band? Did you ever intend to be what you guys are now? Because let me tell you, I've 
I've I've listened obviously to your whole discography and it is such a difference. You know, you guys started out in the early 2000s and that's kind of the music scene that was happening. You know, you had bands like Thursday and you had these heavy bands coming in. Did you guys feel that you had to fit that mold? Were you influenced by that or it's just that's what you guys felt at the time? It's a good question. I don't I don't totally remember, but there definitely was a sense of limitation on what we, what we could achieve musically and you know the style of music that was even yeah was possible for us uh when um my friend and i tried to demo a screamy kind of hard hardcore kind of sounding song and i realized i could scream that made me feel qualified to be the vocalist in a punk or kind of hardcore sounding band um and i leaned on that almost entirely for our first ep and first full length but by the time our second lp came out and i tried singing a little bit i realized that it wasn't totally impossible <laughs> and then yeah by the time our third album the brother sister came out it was more integrated throughout the record that there were you know songs where i was just screaming songs where i was just singing and then songs that mixed the two together and that to me was the moment where th that album was the time that we really kind of came into our own and became something that has carried forward and that is some you know a band that has been able to at least try to um, ex express ourselves with different you know, across different genre lines and not necessarily trying to fit into a certain mold of like um, bands that you you mentioned you know or, or, or <clears throat> well not not that those bands do fit in a mold but that you could at any point look at a certain scene of music and identify a handful of bands that might sound similar or be you know fit under a certain umbrella term uh, for us, you know, once we realized we could, well, simple, simple things like using acoustic based instruments and, um, you know, having vocal melodies and harmonies mixed in with the, and, and softer and quieter parts and gentler and more vulnerable moments mixed with these really aggressive and intense, screamy, explosive parts. Um, yeah, of course, we're not the only band doing that, but it was, um, it took us a few years to realize we didn't have to kind of fit into a certain scene and that we could just make music that sounded nice to us and you know if people from a certain scene liked it that's fine but if not then that was also fine i that that's that's what's kept me interested in me without you over you know the whole time that i've been a fan um I, just a just a quick little question um attached to that is you guys were signed to tooth and nail a very long time ago but you were signed to tooth and nail and now you're or you were i don't know if you still are but you guys were signed to run for cover and those are drastically different record labels did they have any influence or it was just natural you know i really don't think our record labels have had a whole lot of influence on our sound thankfully the those two labels which are the main ones that we've worked with have been very trusting and very open and hands-off in terms of the music that we made and they've been super supportive of whatever we wanted to do and they've helped us you know financially in terms of promotion and marketing distribution and that kind of thing but they've never gotten involved in you know the style of the music or the particulars of the songs so that's something that's always been it's like the best of both worlds you know they're really helping us so much but without any of the burden of somebody kind of trying to <laughs> Have, have their say on the, their hands aren't in it yeah exactly so i can say both you know honestly my experiences with those two labels they haven't been that different 
because in both cases they've been overwhelmingly positive and all I've really felt is gratitude toward both of them for working with us at all and for helping us to do what we wanted to do and to realize our, whatever our vision for a given project you know, that we couldn't have done it without their help so yeah it's just been a great experience with with both of them i love run for cover i've always been a run for cover fan they put out some of my favorite releases they put out tiger's jaw so you know i forever uh, a run for cover fan i was just curious i i don't really think that record labels often play a, a huge role but it's good to know that two record labels that i i love and have always um, been supportive of have been supportive of the bands that they sign so that's really cool to hear like i said i'll always be a run for cover fan they put out nothing but great music so if you guys don't know run for cover please check out the bands that they put out because they're nothing short of incredible so my next question i guess kind of gets more into the writing um how do you approach writing songs because everything me without you does sounds organically calculated and by that i mean i've never heard a band like you guys that seem to always have it together when you have several instruments and parts in a single song i mean how do you even know where to put an accordion in a song like i i can't even fathom that <laughs> Yeah, I wish there was an easy way for me to figure out that the answer to that. You know, I wish there was a shortcut. Uh, really, the only thing that comes to mind is is just trial and error, and more trial and more error, <laughs> and usually a lot of error, and trying so many things, and the you know majority of them falling flat. Or, you know, writing so many lyrics, the majority of them being totally embarrassing to look back on, but. If you write, you know, it's like if you if you try enough, almost like just throwing cans of paint against the wall, you know, eventually you're going to get a cool design. I mean, Jackson Pollock made it work. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I can't help but suspect he had a whole bunch of duds, you know, where he just was throwing paint around and it just didn't turn out cool. And he looked at it and maybe just painted over it or threw it away. I, I don't know right. his we'll process. But I know from for our process, it's it's never been it's never been easy for me to you know to write an album with the, with with this band it's or you know with any band it's, to me it's um but you know i was only in in one or two bands before and only as a a drummer and so to write lyrics to me has been especially um painstaking because there's so much meaning that gets attached to the lyrics and so much of myself that feels like it's poured into it more so than when i played drums so I go over these songs again and again, and I make sure that everything feels right and nothing sticks out. And I revisit them in a different mood and on a different day and a different time of my life. And if possible, you know, if we have enough time, we don't generally go into a studio and just crank out a bunch of songs and then have a record. We spend a lot of time before going, setting foot in the studio, really chiseling away at every part and every song and if anything feels awkward and we can't smooth it out you know we just work at it and work at it until it feels right where we chuck it and there's been plenty of songs that end up in what we call the boneyard like the, <laughs> you know the cemetery we just throw these songs into this pile of um you know songs that, or parts and songs that just never totally made sense for us and felt right and so you know we also have anywhere between four and five maybe even six people if you count our manager who are chiming in listening to the songs and offering their critical feedback and everybody's able to offer those critiques to each other and to the songs as a whole so we have a high kind of sense of quality control within the band i mean if i was writing songs as a solo guy um 
I can assure you they'd be way crappier because <laughs> I would just, you know, make it so I like it. And then I'd say, oh, this is good enough. But um, having four or five other guys who are able to listen to what you're doing and offer their feedback and, and point out what they see as the weak points, um, it really has a way of strengthening the whole process. It takes a lot longer and it's a lot more <laughs> difficult and it kind of um, puts your your ego through the the ringer. through the, the ringer right exactly but i think the end product is better that's what i'm saying like you know i i kind of had a feeling that you guys had to all be on the same page or something because everything that you guys put out is just really smooth it's just it sounds like it's it's right you know everything that you guys put out just sounds right and i have no other way to describe that um i've been a fan of me without you since 2010 I mean, that sounds crazy. That's been eight years of my life. Um, my boyfriend actually uh, has been a fan much longer, if you can believe it, and he got me into it. And I've actually I had two experiences. I got I discovered you guys for the first time twice. The first time I discovered you guys, um, my boyfriend played your played ni- January 1979 in the car, and I didn't recognize it at first until much later on when he had mentioned it to me eight years later. But um, he played it for me in the car and I didn't really pay attention to it. So I have no memory of it, but apparently he does. Um, and then he put on, it's all crazy for me one day when we were hanging out. And, um, it wasn't until I saw you guys live that I really got the whole me without you experience. Do you think that the captivating live experience is a huge part for you guys? Or is it just, you know, you have such a stage presence. Do you think that it just comes out? Do you think that it adds, you know, talk about that a little bit because you have a really unique stage presence sure well there's there's a lot of like i'm sure like anybody there's so you know so many ups and downs in my life and so much that emotion and i and i had to sort of it feels like pent up or that it's sort of i you know i try to keep a a relatively even keeled demeanor and hold it together in public but in inside a lot of times i feel like a train wreck you know and where can you go that you can just scream at the top of your lungs, you know, and it's okay. And not only that, you get, you know, people scream along with you or that will applaud for your screaming, you know. So there's a real cathartic effect and a real kind of chance to cut loose and just not worry about anything physically, you know, flailing around and jumping into the crowd or spinning and, you know, really uh, trying to let your, you know, my body react to the music and get into it i'm not a good dancer by by most standards i'm sure but to me you um, got good moves. <laughs> it's a fun well it's a chance to kind of you know exp- express myself in a way that i don't usually you know and 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 so it's a, it's kind of a therapeutic thing i i do get nervous sometimes but for the most part i feel i feel pretty at home for better or worse going up on a stage and being able to sort of just let my inhibitions go and you know, I'm not a drinker by any means, never been drunk with alcohol, but I feel a certain loss of inhibition or high, yeah, maybe, or a drunkenness when I'm up on stage in front of people, especially if they came to see us. And I know they already, at least there's a certain amount of people there that already like what we do. And so, you know, there's a kind of a mutual energy of if I give myself and, I, you know, push myself and really cut loose and see other people that are getting excited or singing along or dancing around that feeds back to me and vice versa, you know? So I think it's, it's always a, a communal experience. I, I never, you know, practice my 
dancing in my room by myself, for example. You know, I'm never there like, how does this spin, this spin move work? Right. It's just something that it, there's people there and I have a feeling that it's that it's right. You're not not necessarily right, you know, but it's just that it feels in some way appropriate. And at least the very least, I'm not going to get like put into a mental hospital for doing these things that if you know if you just went on the street here in brooklyn and started doing oh, you'd that be stuff right at home. you know you well i was gonna <laughs> maybe not brooklyn yeah but but certain places in the country at least where i'm from you know you just can't act like that the way i can when i'm on stage and so it's nice that i have a job that lets me kind of just cut loose and sort of really let let go and um and ex- you know express certain things that are inside of me not only verbally but kinetically as well it's uh, it's it's a pretty cool job. It, it's it's really fun to watch. Um, uh, we saw you guys play um, the A to B Life tour. Um, I think it was in Brooklyn. I don't I don't remember. It's, it was somewhere in the city, and um, you crowd surfed to one of the first songs. And my boyfriend turned to me and he goes, "I've never seen Aaron crowd surf," and it was it was interesting to watch because I've seen you guys play um, almost like fifteen or sixteen times now in my lifetime, which is crazy to think about. Um, I don't know where the time went, but it, it was really cool to watch. I don't I don't know how often you do that, but it was the first time I've ever seen it, so I thought that that was really neat. <laughs> do you crowd surf often? I don't know. You know, there's a long time where I did not ever. I wasn't a thing, you know. But I remember this specific night. There was one show in Boise, Idaho, that when um, a few of my friends there, my wife is from a town outside of Boise, and um, so I and we spend quite a bit of time there, and so I have a little you know community there. And some of them are, you know, fans of our music and, you know, some of them aren't. But those, a few of my friends there showed up to this one show in particular and were singing along really enthusiastically. And so there's a real strong sense of not only they're into it, they like the music, but these guys I really love and care about. And it just got me so excited. I just jumped out towards them. I think I even whacked one of them with the microphone. And, but it was just a, a total, you know, natural reaction to seeing seeing them there and then jumping and feeling like more you know more literally connected or intimately with the yeah. with the crowd that was there it was just a nice feeling um so i and i, re- I realized well that's something i can do yeah. i guess there's no there's, whatever you want. there's no reason not to do there's no law against it i don't think and <laughs> you know i know those guys at least they seem to like it except maybe the guy who i Most whacked with the, yeah no, he probably loved but it. He, yeah, he he took it well. Yeah, um, but <laughs> but he um, but ever since then, it's been you know it's on the back of my mind. I think yeah, if people are excited enough, and it feels like you know, especially the people close to the front, whoever I'd be jumping on, if it seems like I'm not going to be hurting any, yeah. or like less chance, I'm going to jump on somebody who's really small, small and frail fragile. or something. Yeah, that I you know I. But then yeah, it's not always a calculated thing because sometimes it's just like. <laughs> All right, just this feel, you know, it's a, there's such an immediacy to what we do that, just like, do it. <laughs> every moment I try, there's sometimes it becomes more rote, you know, and there's certain parts where I like, oh, this, for this part of this song, I know I can do this dance move. I really try to resist that. I mean, sometimes it creeps in and I find myself uh, following some kind of a routine or a pattern, and, and then I try to shake myself out of it and say, you know what I'm going to do is just stand perfectly still. Until I absolutely have to move, you know, that's, that's a good starting point for me. If I really try to restrain myself and say, I'm not going to try to put on a show right now. I'm going to try to dial in with what's being said. And I'm going to look around at who's here right now. And that's always new. It's always different. Every show. And then look around. Who is here? 
what's going on at this moment in, the, in this room with this particular group at this point in time in this city you know what i mean exactly yeah. at this moment what needs to be done or what would be the most appropriate or the most natural thing and that to me feels like a good starting point and then sometimes i yeah find myself standing to- totally still sometimes it's the most wild <laughs> motions that, that, you know that i can possibly make come at times that i'm determined not to move at all and i can't i, don't, I can't explain that but it's it's a nice feeling to in a sense become an observer in our show where I'm, you know, I'm on stage, but in this physically like I'm watching. on stage, but I become, I, I really start to watch That's because so I'm, I become determined even to stop singing the words. I say, I say, well, what, what happened if I just stopped singing right now? But my mouth keeps moving uh-huh. and, and maybe this is must, maybe it's just muscle memory at this point, but I realize that the songs can be performed without my effort to some extent, you yeah, know, yeah. I can kind of stop, I can kind of unplug the machine and the gears keep on turning, you know, and yeah. then I, I can observe and watch and learn a little bit more than if I'm in that mindset of needing to keep performing and keep doing something to hold the crowd's attention. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I, I found some of my favorite moments are when I've really totally let go and tried to settle into a certain mental stillness and take the role of observer rather than performer. That's really strange and interesting that you say that because I was thinking about this um, I saw you guys on Catch Frost Poxes tour, and um, for some reason, I ended up in New Jersey. You guys played a New York date. I don't know why I was in New Jersey, but I was in New Jersey, and you guys brought along Hop Along, which was a lot of the reason why I went. You know, of course, I love you guys, but I I went because I love Hop Along as well. And it's funny that you mentioned that because um, I didn't really notice, but my boyfriend noticed that you spent a lot of time not really performing. You were just kind of sitting, which he he noticed, and he's like that's really interesting because you're usually kind of theatrical and you know, you get the spin move, you know, patent pending. And um, <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting that you actually just talked all about that because I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I, I'm bringing it up now because you had said all of those things. And maybe that was one of those moments where you were just observing, observing, sorry. Yeah, it might've been, I don't remember that show in particular. It was a while ago. Um, it was a couple of years ago. Oh, it was like five yeah. years ago. Really? Oh my God time going <laughs> i know it's it yeah that's it's a wild concept so wow that i can't believe you brought that up that's also cool um something that's not me with you me without you related but i i have to ask and everybody that's listening will know what i'm about to ask you won't but they will um it's about a song that you did with paramore and it's a song called no friend it's you know for me personally when that track listing came out and I saw that there was a song featuring you, I needed to hear it, hear it immediately. Like, it's the only thing that I needed. I, I literally needed it because I wanted to hear what it sounded like because you guys, you guys are so different as bands, you know, maybe not as people or anything like that, but as bands, if I listen to you guys side by side, it's not remotely similar. And, you know, I've done literally everything in my power to make people pay attention to this song. I've covered it. I've done really long analysis episodes on it that people, thank God, have listened to. Um, I've literally done everything with the song other than, you know, make it. So I was just, I really, I'm, I'm a nerd for this song, so I apologize in advance, but I just wanna know how you got involved in it because 
other than a short stint um, when Paramore redid a song that they had on their self-titled record, they've never collaborated with anybody. And, you know, I know that, you know, you guys have grown very close as bands and people, but um, how, how did that come about? Well, our connection with them started a long time ago when they were just beginning and we played a festival together and we were kind of a, you know, both around at the same level playing a small stage. And the, the beginning of, the, um, of that particular collaboration that you mentioned was, um, I think just when I, I received an email from Taylor, I think. I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember back. I mean, yeah, my, I know, my memory is pretty atrocious. But if I remember rightly, he mentioned that there was a song that they were working on. And at the time, it was the ending of a different song I guess the song that comes before it on the album I think it's called Idol Worship yeah and the instrumental track to at least the demo of the instrumental track to No Friend was um, originally if I'm not mistaken the outro to Idol Worship okay and so he asked if I had any ideas of a a way to contribute to that vocally and um, Haley had also I think she and I had been in contact a little bit via email and so um I tried to, you know, I sat with it for a little while and tried to imagine what, you know, what would be the best way into this, you know, and I, I haven't done much here and there. I've worked with other bands, but for the most part, whatever I'm writing lyrics, it's for my own band and it's in the first person or I'm writing as a, you know, in the mouth of a character that I've cooked up, you know, so I can kind of say whatever I want without a whole lot of accountability or consequence in, in some respects. So, um, writing lyrics for a song that somebody else wrote that would appear on their album it was more challenging because I had to try to imagine where they were coming from and with obviously having very limited information about what they're going through in their lives or what the songs on the new album were about you know I got to read the lyrics of Idol Worship and try to understand where Haley was coming from or where where those lyrics were coming from in particular and um I just tried to empathize and try to put myself in her position as someone who is so adored and scrutinized and, you know, idolized. idolized, Sure. And, you know, it can feel really nice from my own little tiny sliver of experience of getting positive attention and people, you know, liking what you do. Uh, Obviously, we're on totally different levels. Uh, Haley and I are, that is, but, um, you know, I've had a little bit of experience with feeling um, that... Yeah, someone putting, you know, of being put on a certain kind of pedestal. Yeah. And and then I tried to take that and multiply it by a thousand and become, you know, imagine (laughs) myself as Haley and say, wow, you know, it's already felt toxic to me. I just tried to imagine what it would be like to have so many eyes on you and have so many people looking to you for guidance or so many people looking... um, thinking of you in a certain way that wasn't necessarily true or wasn't necessarily complete and coming to you wanting something or coming to you pouring these things on your thinking that they know you and it's this totally imbalanced relationship and again multiplying that by a thousand and having these you know giant giant venues and stadiums at times of people who are just fawning over um and it just seemed like a 
totally dangerous and it's terrifying and ter- yeah terrifying really and, terrifying. And, and sort of oppressive situation and and perhaps un- unhealthy for everybody involved it wasn't honestly it wasn't an attempt to try to tear down that relationship or to you know even point the finger and criticize anybody involved like you know whoever is putting a person on a pedestal or whoever would that would themselves step foot on a pedestal i've felt on both sides of that again in my own small way mm-hmm. and i haven't felt that it's been really healthy and I, I to be on either side to have this feeling of imbalance and this sense of uh, inequality mm-hmm. and of, of like holding somebody to this high thing that you, you know and and looking to them to to provide some answers or some guidance that you know, um and um, so I just tried to, you know, write from that per- imagined perspective. You know, I, I don't, I don't presume to speak for Haley. Yeah, um, by by any means. But I did, you know, some of the spoken. There, there's a few vocal tracks there. Some of it is uh, sort of a loud, shouty spoken yeah. word, and another is just another track is just read quietly. I like two two parts to that. Song? At least, yeah, there might be more. But I, re- I recorded at least the two two tracks, and our. Our guitar player, guitar, guitar player in my band, Brandon, uh-huh. recorded it, and how it all got mixed together. I think we sent it off to their mixing engineer, and they, you know, put effects on it and mixed it however yeah. they wanted to. So I don't know what all ended up making the cut, but I know we recorded at least a couple things, and sent them along and just said, you know, basically do whatever you want with this, affect it however you want, yeah. include whatever you want, cut it, edit it, crop it, twist it, you know, yeah. put, move it around. And then whatever they did with it is is what they did with it, and it and I thought it, it turned out great. It was awesome. Um, yeah. In terms of sonically, they did a great job with the the vocal treatment, and yeah, lyrically it ended up saying about what I wanted it to say, which was just me imagining myself as, you know, in a position like what like Haley's and how difficult it must be, and you know what I imagined that she would want to say, but would feel like she couldn't say because. You know anybody she she wants to be a good from what i understand about her she has good intentions she wants to be a good influence on her listeners she wants to have a positive impact on the world and people who look to her but that's just a that's a very heavy burden to carry right it's so scary well so from what i understand from the interviews that paramore did um they they haven't really spoken much about the song that's why i'm asking you about it because i want to know pretty much everything about it though um, sorry, I, I, I have a lot of admiration for that song. Um, so you wrote it based off of emails from Haley, correct? You, you wrote the, you basically wrote the song, but incorporated things that she said? A little bit, yeah, some of the spoken word that's a little quieter and more obscured. Uh, some some like things I took, uh, the intro, right, some of that is word for word, um, things, uh, that she'd written, and then some of it was, you know, me elaborating on that and kind of, you know, adding my own little twist to it, and and I I I asked you know her her if that was okay, or you know told her basically this is what I, one thing I'm doing. If it mm-hmm. feels too personal or intimate, you know, obviously feel free to nix it. You don't have to put any of this in there. Um, but they did. They they put quite a bit of it in there. And uh, again, it's obscured, so maybe you can't hear everything that's being said. I know what's being said. But okay, so yeah, you got the you know you get the basic. Sorry, it was on. Um it's actually funny because um, there was a post on Reddit because they had they had mentioned that they kept it low because they didn't really want you to hear what you were saying. Okay. And it um, it actually it, it killed me. Like I didn't want to know because I wanted to respect the band. And um, of course, you know, if it's super personal and they don't want us to hear it, then I, I respect the the heck out of that. 
but um, I, it didn't stop me from trying. I mean, I know that sounds really bad, but it didn't stop me from trying. I was just super curious because I had such an attachment to the song. But there was this really weird Reddit post that got sent to me a couple of months ago where um, somebody had actually written down what was said in the intro and then this whole thing, it's like this long and it's basically supposed to be the email that Haley had sent you. Now I'm just wondering if you, have you seen that? I have not. It's, it's very strange and somebody said that it's what you're saying in the second track. Like, you know how you said that there's multiple tracks? Yes. Somebody had said that you're reading basically the entire email in the second track of it. Do you think, did you ever do that? Did you ever record yourself reading an entire email? No, song? no, I didn't. But there, that's not entirely untrue. You know, there are moments that there were the, the, some of the content in the email made its way into what I'm speaking, into the spoken part. Okay. Um, but again, it was my own twist on what she had written me and, um, I took bits and pieces and then elaborated on it or you know, added things. Of and, course, yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, it's not true that it's word for word, but it's also not entirely untrue. That, that's, that was the basic starting point, and that was my first idea. When I first got the track, I think they actually just asked me to do a spoken word part. Just like the intro? Just like the intro, and um, that was my initial intent. But the more I listened to the song, the more I started to feel a certain flow that I thought could be um, more engaging or dynamic where I could actually let the song grow and develop uh, as vocally speaking um, from a spoken part and then a little bit more of like a holler and then even build to a sort of a scream at a certain mm -hmm. point. And that would just give them um, a more distinct shape to the song. Now keep in mind it was originally presented to me as the outro of a song, right? Of, you know, of idol worship. So at that time the stakes felt a little bit lower. Like it could just be sort of a texture that's in there somewhere. Yeah, you just throw it on just there. Just throw it on there and it's like, it could be an instrumental outro, it could be an instrumental with a little bit of... Like an interlude. A little inter interlude or just a little, like a little found sound sample kind of thing that, yeah. you know, just is, is something you hear and feel but you don't understand in terms of like it's not a lead vocal, for example. You were. It was never supposed to be a song. No, I never thought of it that way. But but as I as I lived with it more, and as I began to flesh out this, you know, the more shouty and screamy part, and then it had two vocal tracks going, and one of which had the makings of a lead vocal in its own right. Of course, it's not Haley's lead vocal. Right. So it didn't. I, I still never expected it to be its own Paramore song. But then at some point they let me know that that was their intention to just, you know, make it a song in and of itself. And I was great. I was happy to hear that. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's all the same musically, you know, to yeah. the listener. It, it, I'm not sure how much of a difference it makes that it, that it is a, technically a separate song. But to me, it felt cool. Oh, it's so cool. Um, the last I'm sorry that I'm spending a lot of time on this. It's just um, I I took a lot um, that that song hit me. I don't know why it hit me. I think because it was just two bands that I loved and respected for decades of my life. You know, I've been obviously a Paramore fan for a, a very long time and I've been a Me Without You fan for almost just as long and I've seen you guys half the amount of times as I've seen them. So, you know, you guys are pretty much on the same level for me. And um, just one more thing I want to ask about No Friend and then I have a couple more Me Without You related questions is what, do you, what are you saying when you say I'm no savior of yours and you're no friend of mine because I did an episode on um, that whole song minus the intro because at the time I didn't know what you were saying and um, I I had a, a couple thoughts on it and um, I just wanted to hear what you meant by that. 
because it's a very powerful line. Well, I don't remember exactly at the time what I meant, but it, uh, the, that con that that concept still has that uh, that basic statement still has a meaning to me, or has a, maybe a certain meaning to me now, looking back on it, and that you know it just was again my my attempt to um, be in her shoes. But yes, imagine what it felt like to be her, and then to kind of wrap you know tie a little bow around it and have a sort of a. <laughs> A conclusion, you know, yeah. basically it's the culmination of the whole, of my interpretation of what she's saying in no, fr- in, I'm sorry, in idol, idol worship, worship, and then in what the the story of no friend is telling, it leads up to that, and and oftentimes that you know I I write that way that the in a sense the um, the end is I begin at the ending, you know, I have a sense of where it's going first, I know already that that's what I want to get to, that's the point. That's what I. That was my takeaway from listening to idol worship, and so that uh, I don't I literally remember if that was my starting point, but it often is for my process is to know what what my basic impulse is, and then the question is how to get there. So in this case, it was just that that same um, sentiment that I alluded to earlier when I said that the the dangers of being put up on a pedestal, and you know if anybody is looking to. Uh, an entertainer or a songwriter or a, you know a, a public figure of any kind as a, as a kind of a savior um, that again that, that to me feels like a dangerous situation or potentially a, a burden to both parties and um, sort of just a recipe for um, di- 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 disappointment if not disaster yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah it lets people down and so yeah it could and then because I've, I've heard it many times that so and so is put up on that on that pedestal and then is knocked down because it turns out that they're not what the the listener imagined you know and that would be um it'd be painful for everybody involved to be for for the person on the pedestal to have to break the news if they ever encounter hey i'm not what you think you know or i'm not necessarily able to do you know do for you what you think or maybe i'm not i'm not who you think i don't believe what you think or i don't necessarily affirm what whatever you want me to affirm or um, to say that I can't bear that burden to try to step down it's difficult that you know my, my teacher Bob Mohaideen said if you, you know the world will give you a ladder and you climb up a tree and then you're up in the tree branch and then they take the ladder away Some, or like you know you, we all there's something in me at least that wants to be respected or wants to be famous or known and, and looked up to or whatever and that's just a part of me I don't really trust and I don't necessarily think is healthy at all but I have catered to it I mean I after 17 years and continue to be an entertainer as a career and it just is fraught with that specific danger and so I've tried to learn how to climb down from that branch and say you know whereas there was a time especially when our when my band first started to gain some kind of notoriety and have an audience that I wanted to be that savior you know I wanted I felt it was at a it was an opportunity to have a positive message and reach out and help people and to try to be an encouragement to help, you know, just as certain bands had been for me, you know, to know that music can have an impact on people for good or bad, I think. And I wanted to be a good influence. So I almost put myself in a way in this kind of savior position where I would give these talks and, you know, almost like sermons or in between the songs that we'd play, explain what the songs were about. After the shows, I'd be talking to the kids who'd stay around and it all just had the makings of like a yeah sort of a savior complex or messiah complex you know i really 
I think it was well-intentioned, but it was also mixed in with ego and these sort of delusions of grandeur of what I know and what I'm capable of accomplishing uh, as a singer of a punk band or whatever I am. <laughs> um, and so it turned out to feel, at the end, pretty delusional in a way, or like I was just basically not living in reality on some level. And that, again, just felt dangerous. And that, you know, it's like almost if you, you put yourself up on this high place, well, where can you go but down, you know? And if you come crashing down, it's dangerous. And um, I try, I've been trying to get down gradually and, and in a sense, let people... Um, and again, here again, I'm speaking, trying to imagine being someone else who's right. in, on, a, on a higher tree branch than me, like up on the top of a, a mountain. sequoia or Edwood or, yeah, or mountain mountaintop and say, how can I get down from here safely? Well, it would start with just acknowledging I'm not your savior. I'm not your I'm hero. not. I'm not that. Yeah. Right? I, maybe there's a time I wanted to be or I thought I could be or maybe that you wanted me to be or you thought I could be. However that idea came about that people say, I look to you or you've helped me do this or that and um, to be able to step down from there and say, you know, I really don't feel like I'm qualified for that position, and I don't think that that's something a burden that I am able to bear. Um, that to me seemed like a step in the right direction for my own life. Whether to whatever extent Haley relates to that or feels that it applies to her life, I don't know. That's a question. You yeah, know, that's something that, that, that yeah, you know you could ask her if you ever have a chance. But uh, to me, it, it always felt like what I would imagine feeling like if I was in Haley's position. Not that I'm trying to write as Haley, right. but more like I'm, oh, you know, I am, I'm writing as myself, but it, it, what I think I would feel if I were in her, in her shoes. Oh, Haley. Oh, this is my son. He just, he just woke up. I've been holding him this whole time for those of you who are listening but can't see us. I have a little baby on my lap. Like I said, I'm I'm apologizing in advance for anybody listening or any me without you fans that couldn't care less about no friend, but that's something that's really important to me and I'm really glad that I had Aaron here to talk about that. But I have more me without you questions, so if you're still here, thank you. And um, yeah, so a couple more things that I was actually super interested in is, as we keep saying, me without you has really stood the test of time despite being basically, you know, unfortunately ignored by a vast majority of listeners for whatever reason and i was just wondering if you guys have noticed uh shifting your crowds you know it's been 17 years do you notice the same faces do you see a lot of different faces do you see a lot of diversity like what does your crowds look like you know there have i can't say that i see many of the same faces as i saw when we got started like when we, so 17 years ago our most of the people in the, in the crowd were probably in their late teens or early 20s usually white guys um, and um, usually upset about a you know girlfriend breaking up with him or something. I mean I, I yeah. can't generalize you know but like a lot of people were that came were like commiserating with me over over whatever I was writing about at the time and this thing we got a little older and some of the people we saw from the earlier shows kept coming out but you know most of them got older as well and of course a lot of people, going on in their late 20s, early 30s, getting married, having kids. Going to see a punk band doesn't seem like it has the same appeal, or at least you just don't have as much free time as you get older. You can't go go out to these, you know, punk shows on a Tuesday night and be out till, you know, one in the morning or whatever. And, you know, so a lot of people that were coming to those shows at the beginning, but yeah, we don't see them anymore. And um, 
I can say that because I, we knew a lot of them and uh, we just lost touch with them and they, sh- they, don't, they don't show up to my knowledge. And um, and then you just look out and you, if we play a show nowadays and now we're almost 40 or some of us are in our 40s and we look out and the crowd is still in their early 20s. And, you know, so they're different. They, a lot of these kids, like you mentioned about yourself, were, were barely born by the, you yeah. know, when we were putting out our first albums. So, um, yeah, somehow, you know, we've been able to just kind of keep plugging in with new uh, new fans. Mike is We have a new guest. You want to introduce yourself, girl? Mm-hmm. What's your name? Bertie Weiss. Bertie Weiss. Okay. <laughs> She's taking over. Yeah. Can you be yourself now? I'm going to try to be myself. We have a few more questions to answer. We're talking with Sam here on Rebel Hearts podcast. She's going to be the new voice. This is your microphone right here. She's replacing me. Guys, you better watch out. She's Mm -hmm. going to replace me. (laughs) So, um, I don't know who to ask. I don't know if I should ask you or Bertie. <laughs> so I guess whoever wants to answer has any lyric or album ever scared you to release? Ever what? Ever have you ever been scared to release anything? What do you think, Bertie? Have we ever been scared to release an album or any? Out of fear of honesty or anything that you know might alienate the listener. Seven by What do you think, Bird? Is that something to be concerned about? Yes. Yeah, you think it's. Yeah, it's, it's hard to know when you say something. It's meant Who's to be. Are they going to like it? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Do you think you should worry what, what people think about what you're going to say? No. Not, maybe, maybe, maybe not, huh? <laughs> it's hard not to. Sometimes. Sometimes it's hard not to. Not to worry what someone's going to think about what you say. Daddy, now you do. Now I do. Okay. So my answer is that y- yes, sometimes I've been afraid of what someone's reaction might be if they heard. Well, for example, what my mother-in-law would think if she hears me drop the F-bomb in a song, which I did Oof. in one song. And I don't know if she's heard that song, but I know if she, she has and she heard the F-word, she didn't like it. And if she didn't, then it's just something, the bomb waiting to drop. Um, but then there's other th- cases to me that are more a little deeper that, yeah, saying things that might, you know, upset somebody or like rattle somebody's I- idea of who, who you are or your expectations. Uh, but, you know, at some point, try to let go of that fear of what anybody's going to think. I, of course, I don't want to hurt anybody's heart, yeah. hurt anybody's feelings, but, but as far as offending their, you know, their ideas or their, you know, you know their dogmas or... Yeah. Their mental expectations. That's that's something I don't want to avoid. He's talking to that dad. <laughs> Do you want you want to take this off the microphone? <laughs> it's squishy. And that's soft. That can be. It's cool, right? I think I can double as your toy during this interview. I think <laughs> it's a, probably a pop filter, so there's no. Yeah, it's a cool pop filter. P and b. But I'll try not to make those sounds right at the microphone. You don't can, pop. You can play with this fuzzy thing if if Sam's okay with it. Yeah. Go for it. You say, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. No problem. Sam is a kind of boy. (laughs) Sam is. Sam is sometimes a boy's name, sometimes a girl's name, and sometimes it could be other things, too. 
we, she happened to have, ha- happens to have a cousin named Sam who is Ooh. a boy. So that's probably the only time she's heard the name. Was oh. My brother's youngest son, Sam. Oh. But she's going to be the new singer of Me Without You. Just watch. Yeah, we pass the torch to, the, gonna to our kids. Macaroni. <laughs> macaroni. And all the songs will macaroni. be about macaroni. Mac- macaroni. <laughs> is that already a song? Macaroni. If not, I think it is now. We've got the makings of a hit. <laughs> Well, that's the video we're shooting right now. It's, it's an ode to macaroni. Get off, Daddy, get off. Get off? You want to get off the chair? I've been standing all day. Hey, Jenny. They don't need to. Okay. She's kicking you off the chair. Oh, yeah? I'm kicking myself back on the chair. No, don't. We could share it. You could sit next to me, or you could sit on my lap, or you could stand, or you could sit on my shoulders. Yeah, that's what it's all about, you know? She's going to be in the face. Of the music scene. <laughs> we'll see. Is that what you want, Bird? <laughs> She's taking over. She's, She's taking <laughs> over. She's kind of. She is kind of a born performer. <laughs> Me without you is so progressive that passing the torch to a woman. My say oh, yeah. a three-year-old woman at that. You know, we, She's gonna crush it. We resist all forms of discrimination, including ageism. <laughs> we don't believe in ageism believe here. In ageism. We believe a three-year-old is. I believe a three-year-old can do it. <laughs> Operate an automobile. I we let her drive. <laughs> I trust her. Just looking at the waveform on your computer, like <laughs> when I'm speaking versus when Birdie is speaking. <laughs> it's what I want. Right. You know, that's what I need. Yeah. You know, I'm so loud. I need someone else to be loud. Oh yeah, she's outdoing you for sure. <laughs> she's just imitating you. This oh, is yeah. A to B life, Birdie. Oh yeah, so you got a good scream, huh, Bird? She's bringing back the early catalog. Yeah, back by popular debate. <laughs> That's so punks. That's <laughs> 2002 right. is in the room. That's right. <laughs> I just I have you know just two two more. Okay. One one thing that I found particularly interesting that during live shows you often suddenly change the lyrics to certain songs to be more current. Is it something that you do to breathe new life into old songs, or is it just something that you do in the moment? Yeah, I think a little of both. Yeah, I've definitely done it where I, you know I've definitely thought about it ahead of time and. What's that? Do you want me to get off the chair? I could stand up on the chair. <laughs> yeah, usually, I, I, I got to admit, I, I, I think it's gone both ways. I'd, ra- I'd like to say that it was all just in the moment, like imp- improvised. But then there's sometimes that a, a lyric just, what do you think, Bird? You ever notice Daddy changes the words to the song? She's just suggesting some more lyrical That's changes. That's insane. I hope that this happens on the tour. Whatever yeah. she's saying now. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. she's like, sometimes she'll be on the side of the stage with, with my wife and just watching, and I'll try to change the lyrics to sing to her. Yeah. You know, I think I don't know how much people can hear of the lyrics That's when we're me. playing live, but if I can be singing to you, then I'm happier. You know, you know what I mean. Out. You want to get out? Mm-hmm. She's leaving. Oh. She it's, can't handle this. Down, it's got too intense. It got too intense. Down, we got too real. Got too real. You can't handle it. So 18 years is a long time to do anything. You know, we've mentioned time and time again throughout this entire episode. You know how time is just flying by. And you know, it's basically been 18 years. You know, like I said, 18 years is a long time to do anything. Let alone be in a band that has put out album after album pretty consistently. I mean, you guys haven't really stopped for very long in between albums. So has it really gotten easier? Has anything gotten more difficult? You've lived a lot of life within those 18 years. Has anything really broken you in any sort of way? Yes. 
um, to all of those questions at least. <laughs> what do I? So you asked if it's gotten easier? Yes. If it's gotten more difficult? Yes. And if it's broken me? Yes. Um, there's definitely some respects in which it's become sort of we've, we've, we've done it enough times that when it you know when when time comes to put out a new album I have a sort of a system in place that I can rely on and um, kind of return to you know a way to organize this mass body of words that I you know pull together and make sense of it and um, then think about how to pair up those different different concepts within other set. Someone, either someone with a broken muffler or a... <laughs> someone having a good time? Yeah. Harley Davidson or a complex of some sort. Um, I'm, I'm just imagining what, what that... <laughs> I don't know anything about them. Um, yeah, it's gotten e- easier in that you know, the, the, the second, the third time around, there was a real, and probably the first, but I remember early on this feeling of um, inadequacy or like an uncertainty whether I would be able to actually even finish the lyrics. I didn't know if I had it in me. And, and those doubts creep up every time around, but, you know, with album number five and six and seven, I just kind of look back on the first bunch that we did and, and at my fears and my doubts and remember that it has always worked out okay. So in that respect, it's gotten easier. Should I be quiet? Am I okay? I was asking if I should be quiet. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay Thank <good>. you. Um, <laughs> but in other ways, it's gotten more difficult and most, most uh, obviously in that I'm married now and we have, my wife and I have two kids and that makes touring more difficult because if they come, then it's just a lot more you know, trying to keep little ch- children or babies happy on a tour bus and in, in the hot and in the cold and without getting steady food or necessarily knowing where you're going to sleep on a given night. You know, it's just not a lot of stability or routine, and that can get difficult. Uh, and then if they don't come on tour and I'm away from them and I miss them like crazy, and that's difficult. And time goes by. You know, I missed my daughter's first birthday party. Um, I missed, um, if I'm not mistaken, I, I wasn't there for her first steps. You know, these milestones that you can't, you know, necessarily, um, certain things you, you just don't know what's going to happen while you're away and that you, and you miss out on these things that you can't ever get another shot at. So that's gotten harder. And then in terms of being broken, um, yeah, I think I'm relatively, I would say I'm pretty emotionally fragile you know it doesn't take a lot to really you know in some ways I can be resilient but certain things that happen might not even seem like a big deal to somebody else but to me it just it just breaks my heart and I can be really sensitive to certain kinds of um, um, I guess to certain hardships and have a hard time knowing how to process them I have really high expectations of my friends and people in my life and high expectations of myself and so when those expectations aren't met for by whomever or for whatever reason I can take it pretty hard um, and some of those things have been related to the band you know and of course it's you know anybody in life you have to deal with heartache and disappointment and 
um, difficulty and my and the fact that my you know this band for me is not only a you know a career at this point it's also a group of friends it's also you know some kind of creative expression that um, that has nothing to do with money it's just the something that we want to do and want to say uh, so there's all these ways that we have to come together and find common ground and and then realize that how different we are and so there's a lot at stake and there's a lot of gravity it feels like when we make certain decisions or um, so that that certain aspects of that has broken me time and time again to where I've come to a point of let, trying to let go of my expectations of other people and just be content with, with try my best to be content with everyone in my life exactly as they are and be grateful for them as they are and try to see the beauty in them or find a way to grow from whatever the, the challenge is that I'm facing to realize there's an opportunity for growth there and to be yeah just be happy with people as they are not try to change them or wish they were different um, just accept them for who they are accept them yeah and, and celebrate them and try to like you know use whatever is difficult about like whatever you see in them as an opportunity to move forward in, in my own life you know that that to me is just a more productive use of those conflicts and those, that brokenness than to just wallow in the hardship or to complain about it or just beat your head against the brick wall trying to change something that's not necessarily ever going to change or trying to you know lay your expectations on somebody that they might not care to yeah. to bear you know and so it just it's some ways that there's only so many times you can be broken before there's not a whole lot left to break and so I kind of have bottomed out in some respects sometimes I think I'm about as low as you can go and then I then again I'm broken down no I was like I, I go even lower oh, it's like, no. oh wow I thought I couldn't get any more crushed than this and then here I am here I am even you know even deeper down in the pit but there's always some kind of grace for me there I was even when things go wrong or when I, I feel a brokenness there's always some kind of a beauty or a light that comes in through the cracks and that and I look back and, and really cherish those experiences um, even more so than the times that everything was, um, a, a, at least on the surface, going well in my life. I mean, that's super relatable right now. So, wow, yeah, this is a good answer because I, I feel a lot of that right now. And mm. um, with that, I mean, you guys just put out an EP recently a couple weeks ago, and it reflects the sounds of It's All Crazy, which is funny because you've spoken about how you enjoy the heavier side of, of the band's music, and you're putting out a vastly different LP that I have said, you know, you shoved four genres into the first 20 seconds in one song with the new song that you guys put out recently. And I'm just curious to know how it happened, you know, what came first and what made you guys decide to release both and both at the same time for that matter, instead of just waiting in a sense of, buy some time before the next record, you know, you guys are putting out two things at once instead of just waiting just to kind of, you know, give fans, you know, something to tie them over before you guys make another record, if you make another record. Right. How did you come to that? Yeah, you know, I don't know exactly the process because to me it wasn't very calculated from the beginning. We, we really just set out to write a bunch of songs and hoping to come up with more content than we ever had before in a given writing session and so we did that and I think in the back of our minds there was a sense that it could be contentious you know once we ended up with what whatever body of songs we wrote you know, how to decide what to do with them 
and it really wasn't that hard you know in the end we ended up with 19 tracks and most of them felt you know pretty clear that they were either you know solid and strong and and appropriate for an LP uh, or they were experimental enough or kind of oddball enough or they didn't make as much sense um, to put on an LP so we had enough that a separate EP was going to be you know we had enough content that it would constitute a release in its own right and as far as how exactly they that came out like whether to put it out before or after or during or whatever that really wasn't um, that wasn't anyone in particular's decision in the band. I think that was mostly, you know, I, I for one trusted our manager and our label to do more or less what they wanted with the two releases. You know, I, I had some ideas, but I tried, you know, we got to pick, pick your battles, you know. Of course. And uh, I really, I had some different ideas about how the stuff could be released. We even had some more songs that we didn't record because it just felt like we didn't all necessarily see eye to eye about how they should be released. Mm-hmm and grouped together and packaged and presented and all that. So at some point I was really like intent on it going a certain way and probably overbearing with some of my ideas. And I realized it wasn't really, you know, and not everybody was on board with what I wanted to see happen. So I just kind of let go and trusted that the process, it would all work out in a way without me feeling like I needed to steer the ship. And it did. So this is what we ended up with. I don't exactly know how or why, Just but happened. yeah, I think it, it turned out well, and I'm I, I'm happy with it. I'm stoked for the LP because um, as you know, I, I'm a fan of the aggressive and more heavier side of most music. You know, that's what draw me drew me to Me Without You is the aggressive mixed in with the the softer parts, and you know, there was a place for the aggression and a place for all of that so I'm really excited for the LP because of the two songs that you guys released already I'm super excited about you know um, the EP is great but you know they're so different that I just can't wait to hear what else you guys are putting out and it's just I'm, I'm excited and I'm thankful that it's you know this week I can't believe it's so soon it feels like you guys literally just announced it and um, do you ever worry about the messages and things that you try to portray you know, I know that I kind of already asked this a little bit, but just going back, you know, do you feel like it kind of gets lost or do you trust in what you write that it either doesn't matter and that you're confident in what you're saying, that you don't care essentially what listeners pick up or are you conscious about it? Do you care if it's easily read to the listener? You know, you weave in a lot of metaphors and a lot of imagery and a lot of storytelling. Do you ever worry if it gets lost or are you just writing for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know what I'm writing for most of the time. But I know it's it, to me it's impossible to carry all the you know the expectations of what or the, the what I imagine other people would take away from the songs or how they would interpret them or whether they understand this line or the way I do or whether the metaphor is effective or whether this comes across you know in a way that I expect so much of that is feels totally out of my control I mean I don't know who's going to hear these songs that we put out and I don't know who you know what their life is like and what the the words I use are going to mean to them, mean to them or the, the images and the symbols that I'm employing uh, how they'll be appropriated and you know sometimes that that rubs me rubs me wrong you know, and it rubs me the wrong way and then other times I I'm resigned to, you know, feel okay that that's just the nature of the beast. And um, 
I don't honestly I don't worry about it a whole lot I certainly don't mind if people don't you know anyone listening doesn't doesn't take away from it what I intend sometimes I you know I'm a little put off if someone like takes it in a total opposite way or yeah. like you know if someone approached me and you know quoting a certain line and I realize it you know it's affirming something in them that I don't support and that yeah. I think is maybe even harmful but then I think well you know this person would if they're looking to find some affirmation of a belief they have they they could find it you know if it's not in our songs it could be somewhere else or you know it's again it's just hard or maybe impossible to know how if you put something out there like a music on a on a on a recording that is you know able to be copied and, and distributed and heard by total strangers there's just you know kind of again there's a letting go in that and I try not to pay attention to what any you know what anyone says in a re- review or on a chat room or something like that it's just uh, you know getting sucked into that that energy of like wondering what people think um just hasn't felt healthy for me so I I try not to go there <laughs> you're probably better off yeah you're definitely better off the internet is vicious let me tell you I'm I'm not somebody on the internet and I still see the vicious side of it so you're probably better off just releasing it and just letting it do what it's gonna do <laughs> yeah it's pretty easy for me once the songs are out there to just kind of shrug my shoulders and walk away I when when I'm writing I'll be honest I really do obsess over the songs and really do you know edit them and re-edit them and re-edit them and make sure they're that they're at a place that I'm happy with but once they're recorded and mixed and mastered and put on a Oh, sorry, I didn't know this was going on. No, oh, it's okay. okay. I got emotional watching the tape. Oh, yeah? Like a rush of emotion. Was it good? <laughs> yeah, it was we, awesome. Yeah, we <laughs> never doubted you, Henry. I may have. Okay, I never doubted you. All right, I may have, but I don't anymore. What's going on here? Where is We're this? doing a podcast. We're making a podcast. This is Sam. Hi, Hi how are you? Sam, I'm this good. is Ricky. Ricky, Hi, it's That's a pleasure. That's Henry. Hey, Henry. Hey, I believed in you. Yeah. That's all that matters. I only have one more question for you, my friend, and it's, you once wrote, though I'd lived, I'd never been alive 14 years later. Do you still believe in that? You know, I'm not sure I believed in it when I wrote it, you know? <laughs> it was really like... I mean, it's 14 years I'm ago. I'm trying to think what song that's even in. It was four, four letter part one, wasn't it? Both. Oh, really? Yeah. No, well, hey, I'm just trying to get the facts straight. You knew that you we live in a fact-free world. Let's get them straight while we can. You know, yeah, I guess, I mean, what was I trying to get at? I don't know. There's a feeling of like, yeah, we have this body and it's a heart that's pumping blood and and lungs that are breathing oxygen and, you know, things are working. I guess I'm living my life, but what does it mean to be really, truly alive and awake? And um, I, I'm not sure I'm the best judge of that. But, yeah, looking at my own biography, it's it's hard not to feel a little bit disappointed or incomplete like I haven't yeah I haven't really fulfilled my whatever my my sense of human potential is I don't think I've arrived yet so I hope that I I hope I haven't really been alive in a sense I hope that I haven't really made it yet you know I don't know whatever that meant to me at the time was like yeah I'm mean, I mean, kind of just like going through the motions but there's still something more there's always something more and there's like a a leaning out towards something greater or something richer and fuller and more illuminating or more liberating, you know. And 
that to me is an ongoing process. Again, I'm almost 40 years old, and I feel like I'm just a child in, some, in a very substantial respect. I'm just a little baby, and I haven't really even begun on my journey. So, yeah, I guess I, I, that still does mean a lot to me, that I still haven't, you know, I hope, I hope that's, that remains. And I don't want to get settled and feel like, yeah, I've made it, you know, to feel that I have arrived, you know, and that I have got, come to really experience life in, in a full sense and I can, what, just rest on my laurels or just coast out the rest of my days and re- retire and kind of, you know, I don't know what, what it would look like to, to feel like I had really lived, you know, and I, or that I've really arrived at a place where I feel like I'm you know, seizing the day, so to speak. But um, yeah, I can't say that I, I am doing that now, that I, I still feel like there's a long way to go. I think that's all I have for you, Aaron. I really appreciate everything. I really appreciate you being here, answering all of my questions, and I can't wait for the new record, and I can't wait for the show on Wednesday in Brooklyn. Come back to Brooklyn. Yeah, how about that? Well, thank you again, Sam, so much. It's good to meet you. It's great meeting you, too. I can't wait to see you guys play in three days. (laughs) Cool, thank you. So that was my interview with Aaron Weiss of the band Me Without You. We were, um, it was a very strange setup. When I had approached, well, when me and my friend Daisy, who made this all happen, she had gotten in contact with um, Aaron about doing this. We were supposed to do it at the Brooklyn show um, this coming Wednesday, um, the first day of their tour, actually. But they were shooting a video for Julia, as I had mentioned in the beginning of the episode, and it just worked out better for us to do it on Saturday, which is when this was recorded. So it was very strange. Daisy ended up being in the video. I did not, obviously. And on the set, there was this little room. It's like it's shot in a gymnasium, uh, kind of. There was this little room and there was like no light. It was just like really, really weird. And we just set up some chairs. And, you know, I'm so gracious and grateful that he took time away from spending time with his family to help me out. Um, his wife and kids surprised him on, uh, at the show, well, it wasn't a show, at the video shoot, and he, um, as you guys heard, he had his um, two-month-old on his lap for most of it, and then his um, three-year-old daughter came in at some point, and it was just really cool to see him juggle everything and just be so kind, and that that whole band is full of really, really genuine and nice people, and I couldn't be happier that I got to do this, and like I said, another big shout-out to Daisy for making this all happen. And yeah, I apologize for the quality. I checked my mic before we had um, sat down to do it and I didn't check his and for some reason his sounds better than mine. And the room that we were in was very, um, it was a big open space, even with the door shut and people kept coming in and out. Um, So you guys hear a lot of that throughout the episode. And also we were right by a window and it's Brooklyn and it's fucking noisy. So um, I apologize that the quality isn't what I usually put out, but we had to deal with what I, what I had. And I think for what I had to deal with was really, really great. And like I said, he was super gracious to do this for me. He didn't have to. So I'm so happy and I hope you guys really like it. Um, I, I said in the episode that I'm a big Me Without You fan, but I'm in no way, shape, or form a super fan. Like, I don't know everything about them. I don't know everything about their lives. I don't know everything about every album. You know, I just, I love the music. I like what they do, and I like seeing them play shows. So if anybody's listening and they're really, really mad at me because they're hardcore Me Without You fans and I asked shitty questions, I'm sorry. Um, 
but I'm happy with what happened and that's kind of what matters, right? So before I go, um, thank you everybody for being so supportive of this and thank you again to me without you. I'll never stop saying thank you to them. And I am going to play music. I know it's, it's crazy. Um, I was going to play a Me Without You song from the new record, but since they are dropping the album tonight instead of Friday, it is a Sunday night. I am also dropping this episode on Sunday night because, you know, I was going to wait to put it out on Wednesday because I was going to get a song to play for you guys and premiere. But since that's not happening, you guys get the episode early. So everybody wins. But um, instead of playing a Me Without You song, I am going to play a song by... Um, She's not really a band. She's a solo artist, but she plays with a band. Her name is Becca Mancari. I actually saw her when she opened for Half Noise at the uh, Mother's Day show in May when I went to Nashville to see them. And I fell super in love with her sound. She's excellent. Um, my friend Alaria um, fell in love with her when she saw her play with Julian Baker a couple weeks ago. And all around, just such a good vibe, kind of post-rocky, kind of rock. It's just, it's really cool. She's from Nashville, so Nashville Pride, even though I don't live there. The song I have for you guys is called Good Woman. It's actually the title track to her record that came out in 2017. And I'm going to play that for you guys in a second. But just remember, you can find me on Instagram at Sam is Socks. Twitter is Rebel Hearts Girl. Facebook.com slash Rebel Hearts Podcast. You can email me for anything. Um, I'm working on setting up a press thing to um, make it easier if you guys ever want to talk to me about press inquiries or um, being on the show. It, but right now it's rebelheartspodcast at gmail.com. And happy International Podcast Day, everybody. It's been, a, it's been really cool. And it's cool that I'm getting to drop an episode on National Podcast Day. So that's all I have for you guys today. I will see you at the front. Here is Becca Mancari.
Oh. Uh-huh. 